I wonder if you felt anything when you heard the gospel read aloud just now. Take a breath and remember. When we got to the part about separating people one from another, did anything happen in your body? Did your shoulders tighten or maybe your stomach clench? How about during the part where the king says, you that are accursed, depart from me, and then there's all that eternal flame and eternal punishment stuff? Did your face tighten? Did you stop listening, perhaps? Because sometimes when we hear scary things, we can't stay present to them. Or maybe you didn't feel any of those things. Maybe you love this gospel. Maybe when you hear it, you feel certain, and your shoulders lift, your chin comes up. I wonder what you felt when you heard this gospel read aloud. Our emotional responses, which happen in our bodies, they exist to protect us and to move us to action. Our bodies have evolved to react quickly to the world around us, and that's the purpose of emotions, at least the biological purpose of them. Feelings are our bodies responding to threats or opportunities in the world around us. When we're afraid, our bodies are getting us ready to run. When we feel shame, our bodies are telling us to hide. When we are disgusted, our bodies are telling us to get distance, to get away from the disgusting thing or person or situation. And often we don't think about what we're feeling before we react to whatever's triggering that emotion. But as the field of psychiatry and psychology is teaching us, if we allow ourselves to notice what is happening in our bodies, to identify the feeling, then we can reflect on that and make a choice. We can choose to do the thing our body is preparing us to do, to run away. To, by the way, the one for love is, is to get closer, to get more of the delicious thing that you love. Um, we can make choices about how to act. If we're mindful of what's happening in ourselves, we can make potentially better judgments on what to do. And what better introduction to a sermon on a scripture that seems, at least at the first read-through, to be all about choosing and acting and judgment. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the last day of our liturgical year and our last reading from the Gospel of Matthew, at least for a while. So here we are at the end, and there's no better time than to make some choices and pass some judgment than at the end, right? And here we find the Son of Man 
coming in all his glory, gathering the nations to himself, and engaging in an interesting sorting activity. We might have some feelings about this. Our feelings might get in the way of a very important wondering. I wonder, is this vision supposed to scare us? Or is it supposed to give us something else? Judgment in our scripture, just like the many choices we make in our own lives, does not only happen at the end. It's happening all the time. And in this particular scripture, Jesus is saying his last thing before he stops talking and moves on with the rest of Holy Week, which will end in him being killed. But this is not a scary vision of the end of the world. This vision is a gift that Jesus is giving to his friends who are about to see Jesus go through the most vulnerable and human experience of all, death. Not only is Jesus about to become literally imprisoned and executed, but the people he's talking to, his friends and followers, are also headed into lives of similar vulnerability. They are not sheep or goats. They are about to become the ones who, in this gospel passage, bear the image of Jesus in their own broken, strange, and imprisoned bodies. They're about to become the least of these. The third group of people Jesus is talking about here. Did you notice that there were three groups? Sheep, goats, and the least of these. So what Jesus wants his friends to hear about and know about is not what happens at the end. He wants them to know about eternity, the eternal love and life of God. And I know that when you and I hear words like eternal life or eternal punishment, we think about afterlife. We go straight to heaven and hell. But that's not what eternal means in our Bible. It doesn't mean afterlife, and it doesn't mean immortal life, unending life. Eternal means without a beginning or an end. When Jesus talks about eternal life, he's talking about knowing God and participating in the life and love of God who is outside of and bigger than time. When he tells his friends about eternity, Jesus is telling them about the big love of God that exists in a way that makes our beginnings and our endings small. Jesus needs them to know about this eternity because they are about to see him end. He wants them to remember as they experience that awful thing. He wants them to remember eternity and to know that the life and love of God is bigger than any ending, even his and someday even theirs. Jesus' friends, the ones who make it through this experience of his death and resurrection and ascension, what happens next is that they imitate him. They become the least of these. 
they will all have the opportunity to choose eternal life and love over everything else. And most of them, as we know, will take it. Okay, take a deep breath. The question that this gospel is asking you and me is, will we take that same opportunity? Will we also choose eternal life? Not someday, not at the end, but right now. Our gospel this morning, this comforting gift that Jesus gives his friends, also gives us a map for how to choose life and participate in relationship with God. And at the beginning of that map is a king, a king who is reliably found in the most vulnerable and least attractive experiences of human life. The God we long to know is hungry and naked and strange and sick and imprisoned. The king on his throne in the judgment of the nations is the most present in the vulnerable and discarded and least desired experiences of human life. I'm thinking about the refugees who crowd camps and flee their homes, the children traumatized by war in Israel and Gaza and Ukraine. I'm thinking about anyone who struggles to feed and house a family or who struggles with chronic illness or who walks through life unknown and unwelcomed. You bear the image of God, this text says to these people, to these parts of who we are. Right here in this community of faith, we have people who've experienced some of these things or who are experiencing them. If we are honest, all of us touch these experiences in some way or another, either through our own lives, or through the news we consume, or through the people we know. And we might initially feel like running from these truths, getting away from these people, these experiences, these realities. But how do we find God and enter into relationship with Jesus? Well, according to this scripture, we find each other, and we care for each other, and we choose love over all the other things, safety, security, wealth, power. We stop and become aware of our reactions so we can choose to respond instead. It turns out if you do the opposite thing of what you feel like doing, if you face your fear, if you look up and make eye contact when you feel ashamed, if you get closer when disgust rises in you, then you can teach your body that these are survivable things. This won't always feel like caring for Jesus. Notice nobody in this text seems to recognize the face of Jesus in the people they either do or do not help, do or do not enter into relationship with. So it might not feel like caring for God, 
but finding each other and caring for each other despite the challenge is holy, sacred, eternal life-giving work. This is how we choose God and relationship with God every day. So what about eternal punishment? I don't want to pretend those words aren't in there because there they are. We can imagine that if there is a way to be part of God's outside-of-time life, choosing to participate in God's big outside-of-time love, then there has to be the possibility of not choosing it. The people in the scripture who did not care for Jesus in the form of the most vulnerable are left out, left out of love and care and hope and life Think of Judas, so miserable after betraying his friend and teacher. Think of anyone who chooses to look the other way when a fellow human being is suffering. I've done it. I bet you have too. How does it feel after? Remember, the people Jesus is giving this vision to are not sheep or goats. They are the least of these, or they will be. Maybe that's the real call here, not just to care for the vulnerable, but to join them. Not just to offer charity, money, food, but to build real relationships of love and friendship and mutual care. If there's something in this gospel that should disturb and frighten us, it's not eternal fires. It's that the real call of Christian life is not only to give a little bit to the poor. It is to become the poor. To recognize our own status as least of these. The call is to receive help and wisdom and love and friendship. As well as to offer it. And that's a lot scarier because it means accepting that we belong with the least of these that we are also vulnerable to the beginnings and endings that are so visibly terrifying in the lives of prisoners, refugees, war orphans, and the poor. And it means stopping and noticing how we feel, and then sometimes choosing the opposite action, getting close when we want distance, staying in relationship when our first response is to run away. At least that's the invitation as long as that opposite action is an action that chooses love. And this invitation is also eternal. We get invited again and again and again, every moment of every day. We won't always make the best choice. We won't always succeed in choosing eternity over all the other things vying for our attention. But we know how to choose God and relationship with God. We know where to find Jesus. And we don't have to go far. He's here in these faces around this table, in the people who live around this church, in the hearts of every person who is vulnerable to life. He is with us every day we look for him. And Jesus is present in every moment where we have the courage to stop and reflect and choose eternal love.